You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for April 15th, 2022. Good Friday. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. It's based on John chapter 18, verse 1, through chapter 19, verse 42. As a kid, I was terrified of the basement. I really can't tell you why. There was nothing particularly remarkable about our basement. It was a basement. As a teenager, it even became my lair of sorts. I spent hours upon hours upon hours gaming in the basement when I was in high school. But when I was younger, when I was a little kid, if I'm honest, really until I was around 12 or 13, the basement was a place of terror for me. It's cold, damp air, it's eerie quiet, it's darkness, even in the middle of the day, scared the wits out of me. If I ever had to go to the basement for some reason, I would tiptoe through the door at the end of the stairs that went down to it. I would slowly turn the knob, open it just a crack, and kind of peer around the corner. If I didn't see anything, I would make a beeline for the light switch, which was a little too far from the door for my liking, but I sprinted to it and I slammed my hand against the light switch and the darkness was dispelled for a moment by the humming fluorescent light and with it the fearsomeness of the scene. Now if you think that sounds crazy, you ought to, um, you ought to have seen me get back up the stairs, sprinting, door slamming behind me, looking as though I had seen a zombie. But I was serious about it. For a kid, or for at least this kid, a basement is a preternatural thing. Dark, cold, lonely. The mysterious home of things not wanted, forgotten, stored, or otherwise hidden away. Rarely seen and rarely visited. Isolating and isolated. The condition of being in sin is like being in a basement in that way. Lonely, isolating, and isolated. The prayer book's catechism defines sin as the seeking of our own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with other people, and with all creation. That distortion is a particular one. It's one of estrangement. Sin estranges us from God and one another. It makes us strangers to each other. It alienates us from one another. In the creation myths in the book of Genesis, we have paradigmatic instances of this estrangement in the stories of Adam and Eve and of their sons Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve, once having eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, forbidden them by God. Hear God walking through Eden the evening after they disobeyed and eaten instead. And Genesis says that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. They could not stand to the end. They fled from him. 
Likewise, when Adam and Eve's son Cain murdered his brother Abel, and God confronted Cain, and Cain lied and said that he had not, God curses Cain to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, severed from God and what remains of his family. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, says Genesis, and settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering, east of Eden. Cain spends the rest of his life in this place of wandering, alienated from God, exiled from his family, lost to his brother Abel. Cain cut himself off, cut himself out when he cut down his brother. That's what sin does. This is the spiritual basement to which sin consigns us, even in this life. To be alone, to be lonesome in this way, is very different from solitude. Solitude is being alone in the company of God. As one can be alone, but with an old friend. When your love is so sincere and so definitive that no words need to be exchanged between you. This isn't solitude, this lonesomeness. This is estrangement, and it's awful. And it's what comes upon Jesus by increasing degrees in the days and hours of his passion. Those of you who follow our podcast know that I'm much devoted to my favorite theologian, the 20th century Swiss Catholic priest Hans Urs von Balthasar, and also to his colleague and friend Adrian von Speer. As I mentioned on the podcast recently, Adrian was a Swiss doctor who became friends with Balthasar in the 1940s. Balthasar had been ejected from Munich by the Nazis in 39 and was then offered a professorship at the Gregorian University in Rome, which he declined in order to become a chaplain to students at the University of Basel, where Adrian's husband taught in the history department. That's how they met. Balthazar became Adrian's confessor, and shortly upon meeting her, Adrian began to have a series of mystical visions that she would dictate to Balthazar while they were occurring. Utterly extraordinary, and they were prolific. These dictations of Adrian's visions amounted to around 70 volumes, texts which Balthazar prepared for publication by the St. John Press, which he founded to disseminate her work and later his. One such series of visions and dictations was a commentary on the Passion according to St. Matthew. While receiving Adrian's dictation, Balthazar noticed that Adrian would pause from time to time on particular scenes as she would dwell on them. She would speak more about them than she would the others. And she was describing in these scenes in great detail what Balthazar describes as the interior aspect of the Passion event mostly the interior states and experiences of Christ and also of the disciples. These portions Balthazar published separately from the Matthew commentary in a book called The Passion from Within. And I want to read you an excerpt. These are Adrian's words taken down by Balthazar during her vision, not from the fourth century, 
Not from the 14th century, but from the 1940s. In view of the coming passion, Adrian says, the son has to part from everything. Not only from the objects he possessed, from the people with whom he lived, but also from the most precious things he has, his mission, his prayer, his work begun but not completed. He has the healthy limbs of a young man, and he feels the irrevocably approaching death as the panic of pure contradiction. It is the same panic felt by a young person to whom it becomes clear that a terminal illness is consuming him. But he is not ill. He has to part from his disciples, and he recognizes how imperfect he leaves them behind. He had only just learned how to handle them. It was a slow process. From now on, he would be able to work more swiftly, and it is just at this moment that he has to leave off. The disciples will soon flee. No one will remain. He sees himself as one to whom the Father has entrusted something great to achieve and who did not succeed in accomplishing it. Everything that unites him with the Father and the Spirit is clouded over already by the shadow of the darkness of the cross. Everywhere he hears the sound. Too late. Taking leave of human bonds, of his mother, of the beloved disciple, of all these touching people who were attached to him and believed in him, for whom he had worked his miracles, whom he loved with full human affection, the more he gave them, the more he loved them. Taking leave of prayer, the uninterrupted communion with the Father begins to break off. Everything recedes now into the light of estrangement. All his life long, the Son lived on earth in twosomeness and threesomeness with the Father and the Spirit, but now he falls into the lonesomeness of being merely human, that very loneliness from which he wanted to redeem his fellow men. His desire was to draw all men into this prayer to preserve them from being forsaken. They were to be with the Father in the Spirit, but this is now taken away from the Son. Until now, it seemed that each of his human words was immediately taken up by the Father and even received an answer before a petition was uttered. Now he knows that it will be different. The word comes back sounding hollow, or at least filled with the full sound of sin that the Son increasingly hears, stirring up anguish in him. All this is waiting outside the door, and the door will open. There are many doors, but whichever he chooses, it leads into the Passion. The rest of the dictations are amazing. I wish that I could just read all of them to you. Though it's only in Mark and Matthew that Jesus' disciples are said explicitly all to have deserted him at the time of his arrest. That's absent from Luke and from John, which we just read. Mark and Matthew do agree with Luke and John that Peter perhaps followed behind Jesus after his arrest, perhaps at some distance when Jesus is taken to the high priest. But Adrian remarks later on that even those who are said to have stayed near to Jesus in other gospels, including the beloved disciple John and Mary, Jesus' mother, in the Passion from John, which we just read, Jesus feels increasingly alienated and estranged from them as well. Adrian says, Jesus feels John, whom he loves to be far away, almost unwelcome and a nuisance as all of us might feel about our loved ones when we are too stressed or burdened 
even to receive love for them. When we suspect that they, even though they're well-meaning, they cannot understand what we're going through. This is what the Lord experiences with John, Adrian says. He suffers from this estrangement most of all where he least expected it, in his mother and in John. He almost feels like one already buried, as if instead of the supporting air, a vacuum surrounded him. He gropes but finds nothing to hold on to. He listens but in vain he hears nothing. The pain of separation forced on him is abrupt but continues to spread inexorably over everything. In the distress of no longer understanding, he takes refuge in God but immediately comes up against a wall, not a wall erected by the Father against him, rather a wall that has to do with the human condition. This is what it felt like, Adrian says, for Jesus to take on the sin of the world. This is what it felt like to him to experience the worst of the human condition, not just pain, not just torture, but the lonesomeness of alienation and estrangement. This is what he suffers. This is the disease of ours which he willingly bears. And it takes from him not just his life, but the consolation of his best friend and of his mother. Adrian's vision suggesting to me anyway that Jesus said those words, woman, here is your son, here is your mother, not in hope, but in resignation, even in grief. Jesus is God going down into the basement of the human condition, my friends. And though it's terrible, Adrian and Balthazar insist that there's something oddly appropriate about it. As if this is how we should expect a God who is a trinity to save. A God whose very being in life is relationship. And so whose very being is preparation for Good Friday by consequence. As though God's own nature has always had a basement, or the makings of one anyway. I think it's the case that God knew Cain would kill Abel, and so on, and so forth, and so sent the Son, and so willed the cross, and that the mystery of the cross rippled out timelessly and full of time through history, out from that fateful afternoon in 33 in both directions, burrowing back to the Big Bang and plunging forward to whatever supernova is going to swallow us up, overrunning Cain and Abel like a tidal wave and turning them into Judas and Jesus by the time they come up for air, making it always and forever the case that, as Balthazar says, it is out of the kingdom of death that new life flows. It is out of lostness that finding and being found come forth. It is out of hopelessness that hope springs. Indeed, in Christ, love goes for love's sake into self-alienation, so that distance becomes a mode of proximity and forsakenness a mode of intimacy. Let me try to make Balthazar's work, his words, a little clearer. I want for you to walk with me down into the basement of your soul. I want for you to bring to mind whatever it is that keeps you up at night. Whatever you most regret. Whatever painful thing someone has done to you or you've done to someone else, whatever suffering you think might consume you, I want you just to call it to mind, gently. Now let's go down the stairs. I want you to look around. Don't turn on the light. I want you to look in the corner. 
Squint a little bit. Allow your eyes to adjust to the darkness. Can you see him? He's right there. The Lord who sang the stars into being. Curled up, crumpled, and quivering in the corner of the room, alone, but waiting for you. He looks up at you and says, it's me. I've been here the whole time because I never, ever meant for you to be alone. In the name of the one holy and undivided Trinity, amen. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.